0: guys are too kind. Ah, that was good worship, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Yeah. I'm getting down. Man. I was, uh, I was actually getting some answers to some things I was pressing into. I was like, whoa, this is deep. I can't talk about that. But uh, what I can talk about is the fact that today's message is sponsored by your very own Daryl and Belinda Crawford, who inspired this message with a dinner conversation. So let's give them a round of applause. It's really, I had no idea what I was supposed to do with this Sunday and then then I had a conversation with them and it all opened up. Wow. So I'm I'm gonna say a word of prayer because I think we're gonna need it. And then, uh, (laughs) we're gonna go somewhere today we're gonna go somewhere today and and I'm gonna give you guys a warning for those of you that uh, you know I mean I I think you're kind of used to this because the way preaching happens in this house but it is highly unlikely that I will conclude or even even end at a reasonable spot with this conversation we're gonna be having today. So, so it's going to be a two part, like it's gonna be this and the afternoon. I'm just giving you the heads up, you know, and, 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 and if I do manage to get through the whole thing, then I'll preach it twice, but it's, unlikely so father God we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus and we thank you for the worship of your great name we thank you for the atmosphere of your presence and we thank you Lord God that we have eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit is saying and hearts to understand we thank you for your protection over the environment and declare King Jesus you are our shield buckler rear guard strong tower and fortress we will not be hindered or checked by any outside force and we take authority over every curse hex, vex, spell, incantation, form of witchcraft, voodoo, dark art, or other form of weaponized demonic activity being sent against us by the power of the blood of Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, that we have freedom in Christ and liberty, Lord God, that we have clear minds, Lord God, and we thank you that we are able to encounter you through your word and with our spirit, soul, and body. We bless the environment in Jesus' name, amen amen all right let me tell you something there is a massive shift coming to the nations of the earth if you didn't know i'm going to tell you a profound fact god considers the nations of the earth, his personal inheritance. So if there's corruption, defilement, and chaos going on in the nations of the earth, God takes that personally. Right? Let's say you had an inheritance nice piece of farmland out in the country 45 acres you go out there to check on it and someone built a chemical waste plant right next to it and dumped all their chemicals on your inheritance how would you feel about that pretty pretty terrible you might take legal action So God is absolutely raising up a company of people in the earth in this hour to take legal action against the atrocities the enemy has committed against God's inheritance. (laughs) A massive shift is coming to the nations of the earth. And on this agenda, there is a concept called... Sheep nations. <laughs> Belinda may have just gotten whacked, I don't know. But that, see we were talking about this over dinner. And, 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 and the thing is, you guys are sitting in a house that has been appointed by God a pioneering role. In heaven's response, to gross injustice. You know, the Bible says when the righteous rule, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. How many of you have groaned over some of the policies and decisions that have happened in the past few years? Uh-huh. Mhm. Mhm. Here's the thing in order to understand how to cooperate with God's response to the gross injustice that's being committed against his inheritance we have to understand a key word i want everyone to repeat after me personal responsibility, personal responsibility. <laughs> There's been this ideology in the body of Christ. Sounds like this. God is all-powerful. God's in control. Therefore, he controls everything. And whatever he wants to happen will happen. And he doesn't need you at any point in his plan. So just be grateful he died for your sins. There's an ideology. It sounds just like that, right? God's just going to do it if he wants to do it. I'm going to tell you today that that is the bait of the enemy he wants you to eat it Because if you eat that bait You surrender your scroll if you eat that bait you surrender your scroll because you won't engage it You will actually be programmed by a lie that causes you to sit on the sideline when in fact you are Here as an ambassador of heaven to execute a redemptive purpose to the creation So we're going to take a journey right because because I'm going to unpack a concept to you Surrounding sheep nations it and, and, and it's not exactly the easiest concept to unpack because When you go to the latter part of Matthew 25, specifically in verse 31, and you start reading, that's where we encounter sheep and goat nations. It's actually right there in the word. But pulling a context around that by which to frame up an agenda that God is executing now, that's a whole other bear. I remember when the Lord first started speaking to me about sheep nations, I'd never even heard the term before. It was actually a couple of years before I read Matthew 25 and saw that that was a term in the Bible. I was like, oh oh my gosh, because he had started speaking to me about it years before. And in the context of the conversation was, um, I have a plan to bring redemption to nations. And I couldn't reconcile for a very long time how the context that I was getting from God in prayer lined up with the context in Matthew 25. In fact, that's the passage, and we'll get to this later, but I'm just going to give you an idea of how it's often, like, put forth. You know, that's the context where you get this verse, as you've done to the least of these, my brethren, you've done unto me. That, that comes a little bit later down in Matthew 25, verse 31, moving down. He's like, well, why are we sheep nations here? Why, why, why are they on the right as sheep? He said, as you've done to the least of these, my brethren, you've done unto me. This, so this is how it usually gets portrayed, right? We go to Africa because that's where all the least of the brethren are clearly that's not true and and so then we find an African child with a snotty nose and we take a picture and we ask for a donation and we say as you've done to the least of these my brother I mean it's riddled with a racist ideology in my opinion I guess it's like okay I believe in giving to the poor. I believe in giving people tools and equipping to overcome poverty of all various kinds. I'm not against that concept or that ideology, but what I am against is reducing the magnificence of what's happening in Matthew 25 to a, right, offering campaign. So much more is going on there. You know, and by the way, there are plenty of Puerto Rican kids with snot in their nose, okay? I, it's just like, you, we don't have to pick on one, one, one group. So, so the thing is, um, alright, we're going to back engineer our way into this, but I'm going to introduce you to, 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 to first a tackling of this ridiculous notion that God will just do it if he wants it done what God'll do is he does nothing except he tells his servants the prophets then people begin to speak it and then angels and heaven get behind those words and begin to move things from the spirit world side of reality and then people pick up their scrolls on the natural side of reality and begin to execute assignments so here's the deal The will of God is the will of God always done no absolutely not how do I know because if it was we wouldn't have to pray for it the Bible says in Matthew 6 and 9 and 10 in this manner pray our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven so There's no need to pray for the will of God to be done if it's already being done. Plain and simple, right? Uh, With that said, when we talk about the finished work of Jesus Christ, everything that Jesus died and completed is established in heaven. But heaven and earth are out of alignment. So just because it's done doesn't mean it's manifested. That's why we have to use faith faith and obedience to bring heaven and earth into alignment on issues that need reconciliation your body's sick but jesus nailed your sicknesses and diseases to the cross so what do you do you exercise faith and obedience you act on your faith in the ways that god instructs you to you receive prayer you believe god you fast you and 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 you receive from the gifts that God has put in the body and there 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 will be a moment of alignment where God's power through the finished work of Jesus Christ resolves that disease resolves that sickness but it's intended role in it this is an apostolic house this is a pioneering house you guys are piercing the veil of darkness your leaders are going there you gotta be ready to cooperate, participate, and support. Because we all have personal responsibility. Now, now, now with that said, this does lead into a conversation on suffering, which I'm going to have with you before I get into the next part of this, this, this conversation. Because suffering is one of those things that I think a lot of people really struggle with. You know, why is there suffering? Why have I suffered so much? Um, Has God willed all of my suffering to take place? Because if we get the first answer wrong, we get the answer on suffering wrong every time, right? Because if God controls everything, that happens. Then he controlled all of your suffering. He's responsible, and you know what? That doesn't make him a very good person, does it? Now, how many people here have suffered? I mean, okay, yeah, okay, so some of us are telling the truth <laughs> it's, a, it's a dark world man it's tough, it's tough out there it's tough out there this 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 world is hectic, this world is hectic so when we when we get the first answer right, and we realize, wait a minute, this world is is supposed to be uh, 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 engaged intentionally. And, And God's power is made available for us to utilize as we walk out his redemptive purpose for our lives. So when we begin to look at suffering, we get a much more ha accurate vantage point, And we realize suffering breaks up into multiple categories. Once you can acknowledge, look, God is not controlling everything that happens. Suffering is not all the same. And I talk about four different types of suffering, which for some of you may clear up a whole lot of questions. Because here's the thing, right? I want to partner with God to do extraordinary feats. I want to see God change the nations of the earth how can you believe God to change the nations of the earth with you when you believe he's actually the reason for your suffering and the cause of everything that has not worked out in your life and the source of great deep disappointment right we can't even go to the higher levels in God if we can't resolve this idea that God can be trusted and God is good. And a lot of that battle hinges on personal suffering, right? Here's my list of offenses towards God. This is why I, you know, uh, I'm going to stand right out here. Worship, I'm going to stand right out here. You know, uh, the word, I'll, I'll, I'll get it when I get it in, you know. But but the, the signs, the wonders, the miracles, the miraculous, full immersion. Uh, fully onboarding the idea that my life is not my own. Like, you can't give your life under the full jurisdiction of another person like God if you fundamentally don't trust Him. It's just the way it is. And where we're going, where you're going, right, bringing transformation to the nations of the earth, there has to be a bridge of trust. Has to be has to be. Because if God can't be trusted to steward your life, how can he be trusted to steward your nation's destiny? So where's your faith? So let me give you a few, uh, uh, uh I'm just, I'm, you know, drawing the logic paths. There are four types of And I'm going to say main types of suffering, because you could actually get some other subcategories in here if we wanted to be really, really uh, intentional about this thing. But I I, I thought about four main types of suffering broken up into two categories. First category, unavoidable suffering. That's category one. Unavoidable suffering. Category two is avoidable suffering. They are different conversations. And within those conversations there are different conversations. So we'll start with unavoidable suffering. Let me explain, right? You're sitting there listening to me, and you're really engaged, like, wow, this is, this is really interesting. And your neighbor just gets really excited. It goes, yes! And, 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 and they didn't remember that you were sitting right there. So you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Oh, Ooh. Now you're suffering. That was unavoidable. Like you couldn't have anticipated that it would be really hard for you to plan around something like that. Avoid it. There are things that are somewhat unavoidable, right? They happen. Uh, I'm going to break this up into uh, two categories, right? In an unavoidable suffering, the first category, major category, is the refiner's fire. The refiner's fire. Now, this is what happens for people that think God is just controlling everything, including all of their suffering, so he just put them here to be the gum on the bottom of the devil's shoe. You know what, the, what that life sounds like, right? say <laughs> I'm the devil, and you're the gum on the bottom of the devil's shoe. So Ooh, ow, ooh, ah, like that's your whole life. Like <laughs> every move the devil makes, you take another hit for the team. So, um, some of us have thought like that is the refiner's fire position. Like, we, we thought that God put us there, we blame God, we're, we're, we're offended at God. And so everything gets grouped into the refined. We'd say, well, see, God makes us suffer and I'm suffering. And so he's awful. No, there is a refiner's fire. But the Bible says in Revelation 3 and verse uh, 18, I counsel to you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put in your eyes so you can see another scripture first Peter 1 verse 6 through 7 says in all this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed let me explain there are things that have to be refined out of our lives If we're going to grow in Christ, we, we gotta get refined You know, and God's gonna refine everything, right? He's gonna refine us in our morality He's gonna refine us in our work ethic Right Yeah, God will let you get fired if your work ethic is awful He's like, God, why didn't you save me from my job? He's like, well, actually I told you to get there on time, but you didn't listen to me. So now, correction like there is a refinement that happens as we walk things out with God where, where, where stuff gets toasted the Bible says that God is the vine dresser we the vine you know he prunes us this, this stuff's got to go so so the thing about the refiner's fire is that it hurts in the short term but the long-term result of the refiner's fire is value, is the the, the transformation of us into vessels of honor. Change that is absolutely observable. People look at us five years ago and they look at us now and they are profoundly moved at how different We act, we carry ourselves, and we engage because the work of God is self-evident. And those five years may be painful years. There may be a lot of things, relationships that we lose, right? Things we give up things that get taken away from us, and as we just cooperate with that process, we become stronger, we become more empowered, we have more faith, we begin to move mountains, we begin to step into a destiny and a mandate and a purpose for our lives that takes us beyond ourselves, and it's beautiful. Fruit sits at the center of the conversation on refiner's fire, and it's unavoidable. If you follow Christ, you're gonna take up your cross, there will be some of this. But this is not everything. And there is a difference between this and what I call abuse and inescapable evil. It's very different. It's very different to go through a refiner's fire as you are choosing to walk a journey out with God and to be in an abusive environment that you just have to survive. And the difference is fruit. Because while the refiner's fire produces good fruit, abuse and inescapable evil often produces bad fruit. It produces trauma, it produces dissociation, it produces dysfunction, psychologically, emotionally, and behaviorally. It's not good fruit. And it is a different conversation. And God deals with abuse and inescapable evil differently, even in the way it's described in his word. In fact, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 9, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. Let me explain that statement. There's nothing that you have been through that Jesus wasn't hurt by. Everything in your life, whether you can remember it or not, that hurt you, wounded you, destroyed you, also hurt him. He fully owns 100% of all human suffering as redeemer so there is no person on this earth whose suffering he is not fully connected into and fully understands at the absolute depth at which it was administrated because he loves and he is full of compassion and compassion means to suffer with Jesus has compassion on the nations of the earth. That means he suffers with. Oh. Oh, it suddenly got so quiet. You never thought about that like that, huh? And it's amazing because as we begin to get into work and helping people to resolve trauma, I mean, all the time, it's a a very uh, common exercise. I'll, I'll say, well, let's go back to that memory of that trauma. Jesus, where were you? And they go back in that memory, and I, when that question gets asked, they begin to see he was there. Whoa. He was weeping over them. He was going through it with them. It's an easy question to ask because I already know the answer. He was there. In all their affliction, he was Afflicted. Jumping forward into Matthew 25. We're just going to pull this into the context of, of, of this part of the conversation. It says, and the righteous will answer him. And I'll explain that later on. Uh, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When do we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when do we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it, To one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So whatever we are enduring as the brethren of Christ is being done to Jesus. Satan hurts you to hurt God. You get it? Satan hurts you to hurt God. The God that we serve is profound in that his love knows no bounds. And for that reason, he can be trusted. He can be trusted with our lives. He can be trusted with our purpose. He can be trusted with our destiny. As well as the purpose and destiny of the nations of the earth now avoidable suffering falls into two more categories right so there's unavoidable suffering unavoidable like you 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 in many cases cannot stop the abuse and inescapable evil right if you have abusive parents and you are two or three years old you will be abused there's no way out of that. There's only one escape and that's typically dissociating in your own mind. But there are types of suffering that can be avoided. The first one, the devil's legal and illegal attacks. And I, and I say that very intentionally because legal attacks have to do with legal rights that have been provided to the enemy by bloodline iniquity or willful sin. I mean, and it's both. It's both. Because the bloodline iniquity, that's stuff that we inherit from our ancestors. They did all kinds of nonsense, made covenants and contracts with the kingdom of darkness. You were born in that bloodline, and you inherited the problem. And the devil attacks you through those gates, and until they're resolved, because you're a cycle stopper, it stands. Then there's willful sin, because we just choose to do sin. And then there's consequences for that right? So, so, so those are legal attacks. But then there are illegal attacks where sometimes the devil just sees what he can get through the gate. You know, some Christians live in a place that is very far from identity. So, so they're like the guy that leaves his front door open and sits in the couch, and a crook walks past. I'll say, oh, look at that. Front door's open. Let me go inside and see what I can find. So they walk inside the house, right? And there was a phone right next to that that guy that owns the house, and he's looking at the crook like, hmm, you're here to steal my stuff, aren't you? And the crook says, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to steal your stuff. They both look at the phone. Okay, so so, uh, 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 I'm just going to... Take this. Looking at them like, I'm taking my stuff. Yeah. And, and they just walk out, right? Phone's there. No one dials for the police. Calls for justice. Creates a campaign to shut down the criminal activity. A lot of Christians sit while the devil plunders them. With no legal right to do so and if they just pick up their phone call on Jesus and begin to go into warfare over the stuff that the devil has absolutely no right to in their life but is being challenged they will see an immediate move of heaven an immediate shift to the situation and experience the power of God but you know why he didn't pick up the phone and make a phone call because some preacher somewhere told him if God wants it to happen it just happens so he thinks that the, the burglar that walked into his house and took his stuff was sent by God to make him suffer. See how the confusion? That is an avoidable suffering scenario. So all three of these are avoidable suffering scenarios. The Bible says in John 10 9 and 10, I am the door. This is Jesus. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Satan will do all three of these things. He steals your stuff. He kills your bloodline. He destroys your destiny. He's going to do whatever he can get away with. He's going to test you. But when we learn how to repent, when we learn how to get our bloodlines cleansed, when we go out and learn how to do warfare, call on Jesus and shut the nonsense down that doesn't even have a legal right, then we begin to see a very different situation play out. <laughs> it's avoidable suffering. Some of us just need to get down on our knees and get to business. What does your prayer life look like? Oh, you know, I pray once a week. A few minutes. Mm-hmm. Easy target. The other type of avoidable suffering is, is, is poor decision-making. Poor decision-making. Sometimes the devil didn't make you do it. Sometimes you just did it. Like <laughs> Sometimes you just, you know, you know you're a free moral agent, right? You, you are a free moral agent. And decisions that we make will either move us in a positive direction or a negative direction. And the winners in life often habitually make decisions that move them in a positive direction. They train themselves to do that, right? Let me give you an example. Should I eat the broccoli or a whole bowl of ice cream? Let me explain what happens. You come to that decision tree, and you pick bowl of ice cream. Next day, the broccoli or the bowl of ice cream? Bowl of ice cream, right? Next day, decision tree. Broccoli or the bowl of ice cream? Bowl of ice cream, you see how far I've moved, right? And I'm programming myself to make a decision. This decision is gonna cost me health complications at some point in the future, right? Now. Now, yeah, there may be some demonic bondages, there may be some stuff that's going on in our lives that are, are, are causing us to incline towards certain decisions, but at the end of the day, we're free moral agents. We, we, we could choose the broccoli at any time. That's a simple example. The Bible says, uh, 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 Proverbs 15 and verse five, a fool despises his father instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. The Bible says in, in Proverbs 18 and verse 6, a fool's lips enter into contention and his mouth calls for blows. Yeah, some of you say stuff that causes you pain. <laughs> it, right? So, 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 so foolishness is a, is a broad conversation the Bible has, right? Because the Bible recognizes that some people are foolish. That has to do with personal decision making. And... It's part of the equation. So so with all that said, there are different types of suffering, right? We cannot blame God for everything we've been through. And we have to understand that God is good and that God can be trusted, right? And from that platform, we can posture ourselves to be redemptive agents in the plan of God. If we do not believe that God can be trusted, we're not ready. We, 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 We just have to get to, you know, square one. But once we know who we represent and what we're here to represent then we begin to get into bigger things like okay well let's have a conversation on, well if the nations really are God's inheritance what is he doing about it what does a redemptive process look like in an end times context right because there's been another confusion the crapture it's Todd's word Right where we got this 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 fantasy that God's so weak and pitiful when the antichrist comes Which is his cheap counterfeit. God's so scared of him He's just gonna pull out all of the people that are rapture ready and let the earth go 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 to Literally hell in a handbasket. I mean, it's just like well, you know, and uh, we'll come back at the end of this whole thing and 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 um, Clean it up afterwards, but it's like, you know that, that, that mindset, that ideology would make a person conclude, like, well, I really don't have to do anything but be re- ready for this, you know, have an, elevator. Like, I just have to, I just have to be ready to vanish. That's what I have to do. So, so, so personal responsibility to be a change agent to systems that govern societal structures is completely off the table. I mean, that's borderline heresy when you're coming from this kind of a perspective. It's like, well, what what do I, what do I need to do that? That doesn't even make sense. Like, God, this, this whole world's supposed to blow up. So, you know. Oftentimes, this belief system goes, falls right in line with the, uh, our philosophy that God gave the devil authority and dominion in the earth because Adam fell. Like that, so the devil owns the earth. So we're just sitting here in the devil's playground waiting for a get out of jail free ticket. Also false, the Bible says, the heaven even, the heavens are the Lord's. But the earth He's given to the children of men. That's in a post-fall of Adam context. It's in a post-fall of Adam context. We're, we're, we're way out. Earth is still the Lord's. And he leased it to the children of men. So, so we have to understand that we have legal right to be redemptive agents in this earth. And we were talking about that last week when I was here. There's personal responsibility. And, and at, at the end of the day, right, if we trust that God is faithful and, and, and loving and compassionate, we have some of the key ingredients that we need to become a participant in his redemptive plan for a, a, a purpose that is bigger than ourselves. You know, we have to get out of ourselves. Like we have to see, we are here for a very big plan. And the devil has tried to put us into a mindset that says, we're here for a very small plan, right? Just get yourself right, and that's the end goal. Because you just gotta be good enough to get out. No you have to ascend in christ to the point that you tap into power that imposes change that has been brought about by the highest levels of sorcery and magic and human sacrifice defiling the nations of the earth The nations of the earth are under a veil of darkness, but God is calling a generation to rise up and bring change to the systems of the nations of the earth. And Matthew 25, Matthew 25 becomes a walk into the prophetic revealing of sheep and goat nations. But when we understand the context, we are empowered, watch this, to back engineer into the prophetic revelation of our responsibility here and now. The only reason why the sheep and goat nations are judged as such in Matthew 25 is because of everything that happened leading up to the event. The only reason why the nations are judged as they are in Matthew 25 is because of everything that happened leading up to the event. So, Matthew 25. Wow. In order to understand the first part of Matthew 25, what I'm going to tell you is that Matthew 25 is, is more than just a series of parables, which I think, at the outset, that's what I, I thought, right? Because you have, you have three, three major things happening, three major themes in Matthew 25, right? You have the parable of the virgins, you have the parable of the talents, and then you have the judgment of sheep and goat nations. Boom, boom, boom. And I think that for a lot of students of the Bible, the, the uh, typical approach to that is to say, well, we're, we're going to draw lessons. We're going to draw uh, 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 understanding from these three conversations, but almost treat them as separate, like, there's, there's not really a, 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 a storyline. It's just three things that Jesus said. <laughs> but what I'm going to tell you is as I began to press into sheep nations real hard, as God was beginning to unpack the concept to me, I mean, we're going all the way back it's 2010, 2011, 2012. Um, what he opened up to me is the, I, I, a, a different idea which I'm gonna to present to you. And it's an idea that there's a sequence in Matthew 25 that's being prophetically revealed by Jesus. And he's using both parables and statements of fact. Because the judgment of sheep and goat nations is not a parable. He literally says this will happen but when he talks about the virgins he says the kingdom is like right so so we have parables and we have statements of fact but at the same time what i'm going to introduce you to is the idea that there is a actual sequence of logic that flows through the entire chapter and when you understand the sequence of logic we get one step closer to understanding the prophetic destiny for this generation now I'm a, I'm a big thinker, right? So, so, so this is going to end one way. You are here to change the world. That's, that's literally the end. I'll, I'll take you all to the because if you don't make it to the second half in three o'clock, because I won't finish this, uh, at least you know where I landed. <laughs> at least you know where I landed. Hold on, let me... apologies. So, a sequence. And the sequence begins with a conversation on the resurrection of the dead. Now, the resurrection of the dead is an interesting conversation that the Bible has because the resurrection of the dead is talked about in the Old Testament and is talked about in the New Testament. And there are moments where the dead are raised. In fact, at the death of jesus christ right his death burial and resurrection like there were many dead that came out of the ground at that time i don't know if you've seen that in the gospels people came out of their graves and were walking around and were seen by many very supernatural event but it was way after that where we run into acts 24 and verse 15 and it says i have hope in god which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. What does that mean is, let's not get it confused. Like, yeah, there have been moments where the dead were raised. Jesus raised the dead. Many dead came out of their graves at his death, burial, and resurrection. But there is a future resurrection of the dead that will happen. Why? Because God is interested in the redemption of body, soul, and spirit. And so when we get to the conversation on the redemption of the physical body, it is sown as a seed into the ground and is raised up in in incorruption, right? And that's 1 Corinthians 15. Like we we talk at length in Paul's conversation there about the resurrection of the dead. But this is something that happens. It's a a redemption of the physical body. And so so in Acts 24, Paul, Paul is absolutely making it clear. Like whatever happened when Jesus died and resurrected like there's there's a future resurrection of the dead. And Jesus talks about the context of that event in the parable of the virgins. And this is how Matthew 25 starts. But to give context to what happens in that parable, we're going to first visit another passage which I would call a counterpart to that revelation. It's found in the book of Psalms. So, if you journey with me to Psalms 45, We're going to take a look. Listen, O daughter, consider and incline your ear. Forget your own people also and your father's house. So the king will greatly desire your beauty because he is your Lord. Worship him and the daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. The rich among the people will seek your favor. The royal daughter is all glorious within the palace her clothing is woven with gold she shall be brought to the king in robes of many colors the virgins her companions will f- who follow her shall be brought to you with gladness and rejoicing they shall be brought they shall enter the king's palace Instead of your father's shall, uh, 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 Instead of your father's shall be your sons whom you shall make princes in all the earth I will make your name to be remembered in all generations Therefore the people shall praise you forever and ever now this this passage lands on a few concepts number one there is a bride and There are virgins there is a bride and there are virgins and they are addressed as separate parties interestingly enough the royal daughter is Glorious in the palace and the virgins are coming into the palace. So there's a positional distinction it's really interesting what's happening in this passage and And she's covered in gold right wedding garment. It's 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 spectacular And 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 you see what's happening in verse 16 Uh, uh, There is rulership that's being meted out throughout the earth right rulership. It's a change in in, in governance structures. And and this is so interesting when you read this passage in in Psalm 45, because, because you have this reference to both the bride and the virgins who follow her. Yet, when we get to Matthew 25 and read the parable of the virgins, there's no reference to a bride in virtually all English translations. So we're going to take a look. Um, We're going to take a look at it in a second. Um, This is what the Bible says in Revelation 19, verses 6 through 8. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, his wife has made herself ready, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen." This is that linen woven in gold that we read about in Psalm 45. This is literally the Bible is a self-interpreting text. Clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So it's interesting that righteous acts, that, that term in Greek, it, it's not righteousness as in uh, the, 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 the state of being cleansed by the blood of Jesus. It actually is righteous acts. There are deeds that are done in response to what God has called us to do. So there's a there's something interesting happening where you see that the the garments are actually established because of how these people respond to God. The bride is finally ready, the wife of the lamb is ready to be received as a wife. So there's a there's in this passage this this this, this uh, a communication that there's a company of people that come to a level of maturity that defines them. Now, the marriage of the Lamb has come. And, and so in, in, in Psalm 45, we see that the bride is already in the palace. Whoa. And the virgins are going to meet her. Now, this, this, is, this is absolutely extraordinary. But then we're going to come back now. Uh... uh, uh. Hmm. So, this idea like, what are we doing in this generation? Like, if you begin to consider the kind of company of people it will take to come from the posture of influence we have been born into in this world. And in a generation to bring transformation to the systems and societal structure of the nations of the earth, you're talking about a very peculiar people. A very peculiar people that's happened to a level of the power and administration of the glory of God that is heretofore unseen. It's gonna make the book of Acts look like kindergarten. So, you're up. When we talk about the bride, we're talking about a company of people that arrive at a place of maturity and intimacy with God in a single generation. It's almost like they trigger all of these events because of their response to heaven. And, and, and so, <laughs> What happens is, you read just a few verses later in Revelation 19, and it says, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it was called Faithful and True Righteousness. He judges and makes war. So it's like, whoa, okay. So, so there's, you know, some, some interesting kind of, I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is there's personal responsibility, all right? You don't take anything else from what I'm, 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 I'm laying out with some of these scriptures. It, it, it's the idea of personal responsibility, literally. This generation is here to change the societal structures that govern the nations of the earth. Literally. And the way it gets done, leans so deep into the power of God, the world won't have language for what begins to get demonstrated. And you know that's the interesting thing because the beginning of that process is actually the actualizing out of the identity of the human spirit which then leads to all kinds of other uh, 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 activations that have to do with heavenly inheritance, which actually envelop the person in a degree of, of, of potential when, when backed by, I mean, mean, literally solid decision-making protocols, commitment to God, prayer, fasting, uh, the word, and, and everything that is like the basic building blocks. There, there, there is a potential to tap into power that is absolutely cosmic, and, and it's being mapped, right? So I'm, I'm talking to you. Like, it's being mapped. I'm, I'm saying everything that I'm going to say to you, I think, is 100% in the realm of possibility. And we're already on the road. But you're up. So, with all this said, we're going to tackle Matthew 25. And, 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 and we're on a journey to talk about sheep nations in the afternoon service. At this point, now, now this is the thing, right? Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to... Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. The wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for you and us. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were wedding went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I don't know you. Watch, therefore... For you know neither the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. (laughs) So where's the bride? Where's the bride? You see all these virgins. Where's the bride? Where is the bride? So, so confusing. Especially when we think, okay, well, you know, we definitely saw her in Psalm 45, didn't we? This is what's so fascinating. In the Hebrew version of Matthew 25, the Hebrew version, not the Septuagint, not the uh, uh, Masoric text, which are Greek, uh, the Hebrew version, this is what it says. And then the heavenly kingdom will be like ten virgins who went to the path to the bridegroom and to the bride. Somehow, that last piece got chopped from the Greek translations of Matthew. Just got left out. but when you read it in the hebrew what you see is that the bride is actually with the bridegroom and the virgins are on the path to them paul what see because the bride of christ actualizes out of her heavenly identity It doesn't matter whether you're alive or not. When you actualize out of your heavenly identity, you're you're able to manifest, live out of, and engage both sides of the veil simultaneously. And it's natural. It's a different posture from which you engage the earth. You don't see the 3D world as your limitation at all, because this realm is not the boundary marker on your ability in Christ. So the bride is standing right there with him, and the, the virgins are on the path. <laughs> it's a it's an ascended life. It's crazy, right? Now, now of course, uh, uh, the deeper you go, the more the more sense this makes. But but it's it's just so interesting that that these Greek ver these Greek texts like like they all got it just got chopped out, and it's a very very important part of the thing, but. What are we going to do? So, so we understand, you know, with, 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 um, with the traditional Hebrew wedding, what would happen is, um, you know, a, th- 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 there would be a cry. The, uh, the, the bridegroom would be at the father's house. He'd have to build a house for his wife to be received into. The father would determine the time, and he'd say, you're ready? And then he'd go with a uh, company of people. They'd go to the, you know, town where the wife was going to be collected from. And a call would go out at midnight. And then, you know, the bride would go forth and meet the bridegroom. And then the virgins would follow. So that's, that's kind of the idea that's being leaned into here. They're, they're, and, and, and so so when we begin to talk about the virgins in Matthew 25, you're dealing with two different groups, wise and foolish. Y'all caught that? Wise and foolish, and they're being distinguished from the bride. So bride. Then they're wise and foolish virgins. And so, when they says in the Greek that they all slumbered and slept, this this particular language isn't as aggressive as you might think. It has to do with nodding off and falling asleep. That's actually what slumbered and slept means. They nodded off and fell asleep because this passage is referencing believers who have died they died they were waiting for the bridegroom they lived 500 to 580 AD and died 1200 to 1250 AD and died 1600 to 1635 and died right Not at often fell asleep. Wise and foolish, both. And so when the cry goes out at midnight, they all wake up. Because this is all about the resurrection of the dead. This is all about the resurrection of the dead. So the virgin arise in the resurrection of the dead. And then they go out to meet the bridegroom with the bride standing With him. She's already in the palace. It's so interesting. A company of people that have achieved ascended life. And as we go on, we find out that they have lamps and there's this whole conversation with oil, and and that has to do a lot with what we vested into our lives while we were serving God, right? If we're not part of this transition generation, then how did you steward your life? Was your lamp full of oil? Did you engage God? Did you live for eternity? Or, you know, were you sloppy with it? Well, that is going to determine several things about the nature of the resurrection experience. Very interesting. And I'm not going to go into all of that because there's a lot to say here, but I recognize that I'm running out of time. And so we're gonna park it there, but we're gonna say the beginning of Matthew 25 is a conversation on the resurrection of the dead, and it surrounds the nature of an actualized company of people that are operating from a heavenly identity with God and a company of people that are now being glorified in their bodies and going to meet. That's the beginning of a, a narrative that then moves through To the end of Matthew 25 and that is what we are going to explore this afternoon So you got to come back But before you leave I Want you to know that at the center of the whole plan for the redemption of nations The redemption of man the redemption of creation Is Christ and We celebrate We celebrate him by remembering that his body was broken for us. And the whole purpose of communion is is to come into that understanding, that revelation, that place of acknowledgement that we share in his body. We have a place in his body. He, He is in us. We are in him. Jesus is in the Father, and through Him we are in them. We have access to the whole Godhead in relationship because of His sacrifice. And so, with that said, King Jesus, we thank you that your body was broken for us. You gave yourself as the ultimate sacrifice so that through the cross, you could reconcile all things, whether in heaven or on earth in you. And so with that, let's take the bread. And when Jesus was with his disciples at the last supper explaining to them what would happen he took a, a cup which in that Passover Seder was the third cup it's actually the cup of blessing and he said to them this cup is the new covenant in my blood Jesus Christ fulfilled the law so that through him we would have right standing before God cleansing of sin heavenly identity because in him we are adopted as sons of God we are made heirs co-heirs with Christ through the blood So we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for the blood that you poured out for us. And in remembrance of that, we receive the cup. So Father God, I bless every person here with refreshing, with understanding, With grace to receive the word that has gone forth today. We release in the joy of the Lord and we thank you that you are building something on the inside of us corporately that is launching a heavenly move in Jesus name. With that they all said amen. Y'all can give the Lord a hand clap.